Thank you. Thank you. I, I've seen a lot of familiar faces here that I've known, and some, of course, I serve on mission fields with. Uh, I'm going to try and go at a pretty fast pace, so if uh, you need to stop me, uh, ask a question, do that. You know, sometimes I get carried away, you know. <laughs> but uh, my name is Ron Chitkin. I was born and raised in the country of Burma, the country that now you hear on the news at Myanmar. Myanmar is a Burmese name for Burma. Burma has always been the, the name, but uh, Burmese name is Myanmar. And I guess the, the military dictator the ruling the country said, I call this country Myanmar, and I want the whole world to call it. So they said, well, the rest of the world think they changed the name, but the name hadn't been changed. It's the same thing. It's just it's a Burmese name. But anyway, I retired from Electrolux factory working with, uh, I guess, one of the greatest guys here sitting right there, Bob Kessner many years. <laughs> you know, so whatever he tells you about me, don't believe him. <laughs> but when, when I retired last year, I started doing mission work, and I got the pleasure and, and a joy to serve with some of your uh, membership from this church, you know, in several occasions, uh, doing mission work. And of course, uh, Terry and Samantha came out of this church, and they were in Belize, and we went and built their house, and I, I'm an electrician, so I wired their house, and, and then we uh, did some uh, work on their building and all. But let me carry on. Like I said, this is my story. Okay, Greg, next. Burma is right here. This is Asia, and if you don't know where Burma is, you know where India is, and you know where Afghanistan and Pakistan and all that. There's Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Next country is India, and then you come to the highest mountains in the world called the Himalayas. And then at Bhutan and uh, Tibet, these mountainous regions, you descend down into Burma, and that's Burma. It was China to the north, India to the east, and Thailand, uh, Thailand to the east, India to the west, and uh, Malaysia down here. Okay? Like I said, Burma is the name of the country I was born and raised in, but the Burmese name is Myanmar, all right? The capital is Rangoon, Burma, is the capital. As you can see, you know, the highest uh, buildings are only, what, two, three stories high. It's not like America. You know, it's not much westernized because the military dictator has not allowed too many tourists in their country. He just started opening up here recently. So it's still very far backward, you know, in that part of the world. So here's the capital city. The biggest city in Burma, you can see it's not very big, and the buildings and all are not really up to date, all right? The country is divided into seven, seven different states. Now, you go from the, where I was born and raised in the southern region of Burma, you go up north a couple, a couple hundred miles or so, and uh, you, they'll speak a totally a different language because there are five ethnic groups there. These are the tribal dresses of each group. The group that I come from the southern region, this area called Bama. That's the main ruling country, main ruling group that uh, rule the country. Bama is the main group of those uh, eight tribes in Burma. Okay. Kachin is the next people. You, you notice the dress is even different than the, the Bama people. The Kachin lives right next to a border of China up north. So their uh, food is all like the, uh, uh, the Chinese, you know, they use a lot of spices and uh, their cuisine and just like a lot of Chinese people. Now, the Kachin people are very timid and they're very shy. They're not too forward. They only answer if you ask them. 
you know, but they're very, very hospitable people, and they are very, very dedicated people. Uh, two years ago, American missionaries sneaked into from Thailand and gone, gone across the Kachin land and started taking a survey. Since Burmese people are uh, supposedly 90% Buddhist, you know, they, they frown on any other religion if you are a, a Christian or a Catholic or a Muslim. So they keep it real quiet. They meet in secret. So when this American missionary started talking about the Lord Jesus and, you know, that he was a Baptist, you know, from America, from Indiana and so on, he started finding out that, well, said, we believe in the Lord too. You know, we're Baptists. We just kept quiet, you know, because of the government. Uh, you know, some of them even had to go to jail because, you know, if you profess yourself as a Christian. They found out that in Kachin, over 60% of the people in that land are Christians. So you could imagine through the years, that is the work of the American missionary that you folks have sent years and years ago. And the, he, the work that he done had grown so much that the Kachin, over, over half of them are Christian instead of Buddhist, okay? The next group, south of Kachin, uh, are Shan. Shan people, you, you notice their dresses are different, and they're known for swordsmanship. They're very good swordsmen, and they're very fierce warriors. They are known to guard, they are really the guards for the Burmese kings for many centuries, and that's what they're known for. Very skilled people with the swords. If you go to the Shan demonstration at their, at their villages, and, you know, they'll release a fly, you know, out of a net, and they'll, they'll hit that fly with their sword and cut it in two. That's how good they are. Their eyes are very sharp. And that's, that, anyway, I don't fool with them too much, you know. I say, <laughs> you can see why, all right? On, on the uh, west side of Shan is a, a, a big land called the Chin. These Chin people are mountainous people. The Americans during the Second World War got together with British because British couldn't drive the Japanese out. So they, they gathered in India and ran across what they call a Burma Road and drove the Japanese out. And these are very mountainous area. And these Chin people are the uh, mountain people, the tribal people. And in that Chin Hill right here in these big mountains are called Naga warriors. And Naga warriors years ago, they say they don't do that anymore. They're headhunters. You know, they, they, they worship their, their mountain gods, and they said ever so often they had to sacrifice a human and all that. But they say it doesn't go on, but I still don't want to test them and go in that area. But they say they are headhunters, okay? Rakhine is uh, the south of the uh, Chin Hill, and they are in the coastal region. This is, this is uh, the Indian Ocean here, you know, what they call the Bay of Bengal. And, and they are ocean people. But they're also the very educated people because they're the first people in Burma, first group that discover the written language and the spoken language. And they are mostly teachers and professors, you know, still are. They're very, very uh, dedicated in their language, okay? Of the eight tribal group, the smallest group in Burma is called Kaya. These are very shy and very timid people, and they... Uh, but they, they are very kind, I understand. But, you know, they usually stay by themselves. If, you, if they see foreigners, they say they usually try to run away from them, you know, because they're, they're very, very, I guess, afraid of, you know, any foreign uh, group coming in. But they're starting to open up now. But that's the smallest state in the country is Kaya, okay? Next to Kaya is Kayin. Kayin is right next to the border of Thailand, and they're an American missionary doing work there. And when they took a survey three years ago, 
Adoniram Judson, American missionary, started doing a lot of work there in, in the 1800s. They found out that the Cayenne people are the most dedicated Christian in the country of Burma. And 90% of Cayenne are Baptists. So you, you could imagine, you know, and they're fighting the Burmese government all the time. They still are today. I mean, they're shooting at each other because Burmese government is trying to make them uh, build pagodas and uh, worship places for Buddhists, and the Cayenne refuse. So they've been fighting for many, many years. Okay? The last state in the very far south is called Hmong. The Hmong people are right here on the ocean, and they're all fishermen. And uh, that's where my uh, ancestors came from, is from this region, before they move up into the southern part of Burma. But the Hmong, they're mostly fishermen. And the Hmong people, uh, they were concerned about it when they had that big uh, uh, tsunami. If you remember, they started here in Malaysia years ago. They were concerned about the people in the coastal region, but a lot of Hmong people were saved because... Uh, uh, they uh, saved themselves by going up to the high hills. They said when they saw the ocean water going down, they said that that means tsunami, big wave is coming. Through the century, they have written records that shows that if you see the ocean water go down, head for the high lands because you got a wave coming, and they did. So there's many of them. And I think the, uh, a lot of American scientists are recognizing that. They said when the tidal wave comes, they usually suck the water from the beach so that they can come back and roll over. So anyway, many of them are from this region, all right? That's the eight tribal group. We go to church to worship. The Jewish people go to synagogue. The Muslim go to the mosque. But the Burmese people, the Buddhists, go to pagodas. And that's what pagodas look like. And inside the pagoda, through a door, if you go in there, a little idol, the idol of Buddha that they worship. All right? And as you can see, many of these idols they inside, uh, from donation of the Buddhists, they, they gold plate them. And even the pagodas are gold-plated, okay? B Buddhist people are required to spend at least one part of their life, a short time in their life, being a Buddhist, as a Buddhist monk and, and, and serve. So there are many young people or children do this during the school break so that they doesn't interfere with the school during the, the break. So these young people work uh, out their schedule so that they do that during the school break. And what they do is they sit in front of their Buddha, and they'll chant, you know, prayers, and uh, they'll uh, say all the Buddhist prayers and carry on, you know. And some, some of them will stay there about a week or so, a week or two, and uh, shave their head and wear their uh, the traditional uh, longji so that uh, uh, they are recognized as Buddhist monks, okay? These Buddhist monks, as you can see, had to serve many times, and many of them are young people during school. And they have a hard time, the, the elder Buddhist monk have a hard time training them because, you know, kids are kids. They like to play, but the parents want to get their, their obligation over with, so they usually send them to a monastery during the uh, school shutdown, okay? They're not, they're not allowed to uh, play, and they're not allowed to do a lot of things, you know, when they're in the monastery during that time, but the kids always have a tendency to sneak out. Transportation in Burma, although they've got a few cars and trucks, most of them... Uh, even today, use a lot of ox cart, and there's a lot of waterways in Burma, so you can see a lot of boats, transport a lot of goods by boats and, and uh, these big uh, uh, barges, all right? In uh, 7,200 feet level up in the mountain, there's a big lake called Inlay Lake, and uh, in those lakes, in that area of Burma, they don't use money, they, they, they trade, 
a lot. You see rice for uh, vegetables and beans for something else, lentil and, and fish for something else. And, and as you see, these, these, this is a big net that they built with a bamboo around it, and they got a net around it. They, they put the thing on the side of the boat, and they roll the boat, and that's how they scoop up the fish. And you notice this little girl. All those people in there since a young age, they learned to roll their boat with, uh, with their leg. They said because leg muscles are much stronger than hand. And I remember trying that years ago, never succeeded, but I keep falling in the water, you know. <laughs> but you've got to have a good balance to do that. But they're taught from a young age to do that, all right? The products of Burma are cultured pearl. Rice is the main product. They've got uh, uh, jade, sapphire, rubies, and some of the uh, most precious stone, you know, a good grade, come from Monstate, the southern part of Burma. There's a gymnologist in, in uh, Kingsport one time, uh, uh, I forget his name, asked me he said, if I can get some jade and, and star sapphire and rubies out of Burma, you know, because he said, uh, you know, they're, they're almost priceless here, but I, of course, you know, I couldn't get him out, you know, but he was talking about, he's seen a few that he checked out. They said they are really precious, okay? Burmese people like to sing and dance, and these are the costumes, and this is the Burmese heart, but they have always uh, loved music and always loved to dance, okay? And that's the art. There are many, many old buildings in Burma, and a lot of them are old palaces, and we had an uh, architectural student from American University that went there a few years ago and studying some of the architecture and how they built these things that last for centuries and the paint they use, you know, from their woods, are, uh, the stain and all they use are, are such that, you know, they, they kept from deteriorating all these years. And these are built without any nails, all wooden dowels. And they were studying those uh, in that part of the world, Okay. And these buildings are many, many hundred years old, and they're an ancient building and still standing today. All right? Burmese people's main uh, staple is rice. That's the main food. And they eat rice like you see it, you know, in grain. And, and sometimes when they're not eating it as a grain, they, they grind it up and make little noodle, rice noodle. And they put their rice noodle in a little bowl and put a real thick gravy that's real spicy and hot. And that's, that's a Burmese breakfast. It's called Mohinga. And it's still very popular today. As a matter of fact, I was in North Carolina last week. Uh, I was uh, supposed to uh, <clears throat> work with a group, uh, you know, out, uh, came out from Roanoke, and, and, and uh, I asked them if, if, if I could reschedule it. And, and I felt ashamed, preacher, for admitting this, but my sister called me and said, I'm fixing your favorite mo. So I took off to North Carolina last week and picked out like I needed, you know. So... But that's, that's, I'm real weak when it comes to Mohinga. That's my favorite, okay? As I said, these little Buddhist monks, you know, when they go in the monastery, they're supposed to meditate, pray, and, and, and not leave the compound. They, when I was in, in, in Rangoon, I found out that these little kids made a hole in their fence, and they'll sneak out, you know, because soccer is the main sports in Burma, and they're crazy about it. They're very passionate about it. Oh, they'll fight you over their ball, Robert, and, and I've seen kids fight over soccer, you know. But anyway, you, you can see two little monks here sneaked out to play soccer. They're not supposed to be doing that. They're supposed to be very reverent and very, you know, calm. And, but as you can see, they weren't supposed to be participating in any sports as a monk, all right? <clears throat> Once a year in Burma, they said Gautama, the uh, founder of their religion, told them that uh, once a year you need to... Uh, uh, throw water in each other and wash each other and cleanse them, 
because get rid of all the evil and unclean spirit and clean the whole country. So they have what they call a water festival once a year. I remember uh, right before I came to the United States, several months before I came to move to Thailand, there was a, a British guy with a three-piece suit, you know, walking with a bolo hat, real, you know, and, and he got drowned. And all he got so mad, he wanted to call the police and have them arrested and all the police said, we can't do that. You know, he said, this is what we do in our country, you know, this time of year. He said, but I'm not Burmese. He said, well, then you need to go back to England. <laughs> you know? But it doesn't matter who you are, guys. Remember, if you go to Burma during water festival, you're going to get drowned. But well, they will throw water on you. They don't care who you are. Okay. In 1812, these two young people, Adoniram and Ann Judson, will leave their country and sail to the country of Burma. And remember these names, because these are the guys that did the work, okay? Not only were they the first uh, missionaries from uh, Connecticut, from that part, but if Americans uh, ever do some research on it, I think you will find out that they were also the first foreign missionaries that went far away abroad. There was a, a free slave that went to Jamaica and all, but uh, when it comes to the real foreign land, they were the first. With the Judson, with these two young people, she was only 18 years old, and I think he was 20. Accompanying them was Samuel and Harriet Newell with going to Judson, okay? And they're on one boat. On the other boat was Luther Rice and Gordon Hall. You may have heard the name Luther Rice, but I will explain a little more about Luther Rice here shortly. But these are single people. Gordon Hall did a lot of work in India. He translated a lot of their Bibles so that the Hindus now can read the uh, English Bible. Luther Rice, of course, he went to serve with Judson, but he never did really make it over to Burma because he had to turn back and come back to the United States to raise money. And I'll tell you why, okay? Why do these people go there? Well, because Christ told us to. Guys, I tell you what, if you had the red-letter edition you know, where the words came out of the mouth of Jesus. Here's what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of earth. And that's from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. That came from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. That's what he asked us to do. So these young people in New England started praying about what Jesus said and what they want to do, become a foreign missionary to tell others about Christ. They started praying at a haystack in New England, and that haystack got a marker now where if you go up north, you can still visit that, where these young people started praying. And not only did they pray, their prayer was answered. They gave up their life to serve in the foreign field, okay? Now, they will spend three months on the sailboat the year was 1812, and 1812 was the year they discovered steamship, but it wasn't enough, you know, to have it on the oceans yet. So the only way to go was a sailboat. And, you know, they didn't have no satellite navigation and weather maps then, so a lot of ships were sank in the, in the rough Atlantic, uh, uh, Atlantic Ocean, especially the Southern Atlantic had sunk a lot of ships. So Luther Rice and Gordon Hall and all, they went on one ship from Philadelphia, and uh, the New Wales and Judson sailed from Connecticut. They said, well, if one of us sink, then maybe the other one will make it. That's how much dedication they had willing to give up their life to go serve the Lord. Okay? 
So they sailed for three months, and you, look where they started. They started in New England, went around the most dangerous part of the uh, oceans, Southern Atlantic, around the Cape, and then they're going to Indian Ocean and landed in India, and that's the way. That took six months. I mean, three months, I'm sorry. And during the three months, what do, these, what do these young preachers do at three months? Well, they have a lot of time to study, so they study the Bible. Adnaram Judson was a scholar of Greek and Hebrew languages. He had a copy of Septuagint with him, the Greek Bible. So when he translated the Bible, he didn't translate it from King James, guys, or NIV or something. He went directly to the original text to translate. That's why there are American missionaries now in Thailand studying Burmese, because they said the Burmese Bible is the closest thing to original tongue. Okay? And here's the trip they took, went around there, the sailing trip that took them three months. All right? Now, I told you about Luther Rice. As soon as they got there, during the three months they were studying, when they were studying, they came across a word named Tavila, preacher, a Greek word named Tavila. What does Tavila mean? It means that when Jesus was baptized, he was dunked under the water, guys. He was immersed. Now, they were congregationalists when they left. They were supported by a congregationalist group. Now, there's nothing wrong with baptizing either way, because that's not what saved you, as you all know. But they wanted to follow in the Christ's footsteps, like Christ did. He was immersed, Tavila. So they wanted to be baptized. So there's a missionary in India called William Carey from England. They asked William Carey to baptize them. Well, when they did that, they became a Baptist. So the Presbyterian or the Congregationalist in New England said, well, you're going to have to resign from our, because we got, we're the one that supported you to go to Burma, and you need to pay us back the money for that sailing trip and all that. So Luther Rice had to go back and resign officially from the board of, of Congregationalists as a missionary, and now they have no money, Robert, so they had to start raising money. So that's what Luther Rice did. He would travel by horse and buggy. Sometimes he would walk for miles. And there was an old, old man said, my great-grandfather in Saltville used to tell me about an old preacher that would come by there and says, if you would just give me 50 cents or a dollar from this church, I'll get another dollar from another church and another dollar from another church, and I'll pull this money together and send it back to the Jetsons so that we can preach the gospel in Burma. Little did we know that what Luther Rice started that day was what the Southern Baptists today call it a cooperative program. And this is the guy that started it, okay? All right? Back in Burma, Ann Judson will get together a bunch of children and say, now these are the leaders of tomorrow. I'm going to teach them English. But while I teach them English, I'm going to teach them about Jesus Christ. And that's what she did. These kids will come from miles, okay? In the meantime, Adnaram Judson were having a hard time keeping an audience because most of the Buddhists didn't want to listen to him. So what he did is he built them what they call a zayat. It's a little rest area. He has a little place where they can sit and rest and lay down and sleep or take a nap or whatever. And while they're doing that, he'll preach to them. Okay? Now, can you imagine a preacher that will preach for six years before there's a first convert? That's what Judson did. He never did give up. He preached for six long years before the first convert. And the first convert was named Unal. On June 27, 1819, this farmer became the first Christian, and he couldn't wait to be baptized. All right? 
The second guy, a short while later, became a second convert, Uing. Remember this name, guys? Uing. He was from the southern region. He was a fisherman. And he became another Burmese Christian. Okay? When these converts were baptized in the river, some of their relatives were going to kill them. They said, rather than becoming a Christian spirit, we're going to kill them so that they can't bring the foreign spirit into our country. So they had to call the militia in at the river bank and protect these, uh, their relatives. So the police had to protect them because their relatives didn't want them to get baptized. All right? Now, in 1824, the war started between Britain and Burma. So the Burmese king ordered all the uh, male foreigners, the white foreigners, male foreigners, locked up because they said, you know, if they're white, they must be spies for Britain. So Ed Narm Judson, although he's a minister, and uh, there was a German doctor, they locked them all up, five of them, okay? When they locked them up, they wouldn't hardly feed him anything. You know, they said, we just let him go hungry and just, you know, give him some water and maybe a little rice or something. So Ed and Judson, Ann Judson, Judson's wife had to cook the meals, and she would walk several miles every day to feed her husband and these foreigners. And a lot of help that they had on the uh, mission compound left because they were afraid they would get arrested too. There was only one guy that stayed with Ann Judson to cook for them to uh, help Judson there was this fellow named Uing. These are the words from Ann, Ann Judson's diary. We must both have died, she wrote, has it not been for this faithful, affectionate care of our cook. He never complained or asked for wages, never forget a moment or hesitate to do anything, perform any duty required in finding such a jewel. This is from her handwritten diary of Ann, Ann Judson about Uing, the second convert. All right? Now, while Judson was in prison, what did he do? He had a lot of time. He translated the Bible into Burmese. He finished Matthew, Mark, and Luke already. So he stuffed it inside a pillow. Well, Burmese people don't sleep on pillow. They sleep on a log, you know, or a piece of wood or something. So when he found out this pillow that Judson had, the head guard took it away from Judson. Little did he know that there was some uh, Bible verses, translated verses in there. He took it away. So Ann Judson found out about this. Said, Ann went and made another pillow. Said, this is prettier, newer, he said, sir, he said, if you give this back to my husband, I'll give you this new pillow. Well, he took her new pillow, but he didn't give him back his pillow. He threw it away. And it was the watchful eye of Uing, the second convert that saw what happened and thereby retrieved the old pillow and saved the translation of the Bible that Justin had started. Okay? How do I know all the story, you ask? Well, I'll tell you how, guys. If you look at the family tree, you see, Uno was the first convert by Justin. Uing was a second convert. He has six daughters. The youngest daughter, Doshui Mi, married a university professor named Ubawa. And they had one son, Utunyane, who married Donyan A. And they had two daughters, Doyutha and Dosu. Dosu married Utak. And this is my grandmother and my grandfather. So that's why I'm the direct descendant. And this is my mother and father. They only had Dosu and Utak and only one son, Uchitkin and Stellar. Mervyn and Stella, that's my mother and father. And that'd be me on the number two there of the, of the nine children. So that's how I know the history. It was passed down from generation to generation from the handwritten account from my ancestor. So that's how I knew. Okay, next. When I, when I was in Burma, <coughs> my father went to Thailand 
working for the United Nations, and I had to live with my grandparents while he was there because there wasn't any good schools. So while mom and dad was in Thailand, because there was no good school, uh, I lived with my aunt and my grandmother, my grandfather, and my uh, first cousin, her daughter. So I had to live with them, you know, because there was not school built then in Thailand, all right? Now, in Burma, you know, your hobbies are limited. People play just beat, beating on a bunch of tin cans or, you know, going around uh, making wheels that are, you know, just bobbing up and down, you know, that are not true circles and all. But I have always wanted, you know, when I heard the first radio, I wanted to build me a radio. So a hobby in Burma, my first radio was to build a crystal set, all right? To build a crystal set, you've got to have a headphone, you've got to have a crystal, a diode crystal, and a coil, okay? We don't have radio shacks there, so you just go, can't go and buy them things. So you had to be resourceful. You had to, you had to search for them, you know? And so I looked for these military phones that were left during the Second World War. I found coal, copper wire inside this, but none of the headphones worked. They were rusted, and they were, you know, waterlogged, rusted, and none of them worked. But I got the coils out. So that gave me copper wire to wound an inductor, a coil that I need, okay? So I took an empty toilet tissue roll to wound my coil. And, you know, I needed a cardboard, and there was no cardboard in Burma to be found. You know, it, it was pretty hard and a lot of stuff. You know, it's not like America. So the only cardboard I know was an empty toilet tissue roll. Well, I went to the bathroom, and I folded up the empty toilet tissue roll and folded up the paper real neatly. Boy, I got the biggest whipping, you know, from my <laughs> grandmother. But I needed the cardboard, you know, so I made me a call, okay? I needed a rock that vibrates. You know, you take a crystal as a rock. Crystal is the crystal, shiny rock, that when you put electricity on it, it vibrates. You can't hardly see it, but it does vibrate. And that's what detects the radio signal, all right? So to get crystal, you put, you put this uh, shiny rock crystal, and you put a little needle on it and put a voltage on it, and that becomes a diode detector. That's how diodes are made, okay? So I found these rocks up in the mountains, you know, the hills in north of Burma, and I made me a diode. So I've got a coil. I've got the diode. All I needed was a headphone. And there was no headphone to be found anywhere in Burma at that time, Greg, and I looked and looked, all right? But I knew one place that there might be one. Burma had a lot of Japanese zero fighters that were shot down during the war. And right near a soccer field at the school, next, you can you see sites like that everywhere where the, the old Japanese zero fighters have been shot down. And I found one, all right? I found one in the field covered with banana leaves. Banana leaves are huge. And if you get a bunch of them, you know, over it, you know, they're waterproof. So this cockpit was dry all these years. And right there was a headphone hanging there. I've, but uh, I, I was a little reluctant about going over there. You know, we play soccer near there. And I noticed the Burmese people, if the ball go near it, they'll take a long stick, preacher, and they'll try and retrieve the ball. They won't go near it. They said that the Japanese ghosts will haunt you. I said, well, I can go and look at it because I said, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, the ghosts don't bother me. He said, oh, Ron, he said, those ghosts, they don't care who you are, even Christian. They'll haunt you the rest of your life. And I was a little reluctant. It took me three days to get enough nerve to get to the cockpit, but I snatched that little headphone. And I have never forgotten that when I did that, this Japanese pilot that was shot down, there was no body in there, thank goodness. But inside there, he had a picture of a little girl and his wife. I assume it was his wife. It was sad that, you know, he took it 
put it in his cockpit, okay? But I got my headphones. My grandmother lived in a big thatched roof house like that, and behind her was a big guava tree, all right? I need to get antenna up, so I climbed the guava tree and put the copper wire up there and tied it to my radio, and it worked. So I had me my first radio in Burma, okay? But in 1959, I left Burma because people from India opened up a school from India, and you know, Indian people are very uh, uh, English-oriented. You know, they taught everything English. So my dad called us, so we left uh, Burma and went to the next country, which is Thailand, Bangkok, Thailand, okay? I better hurry up. <laughs> when I got to Bangkok, <coughs> you could see, you remember seeing the picture of Rangoon, Burma. This is Bangkok. They got skyscrapers just like here in America. Really westernized. And Bangkok, Thailand is totally different from Burma. They got everything there. And they have Radio Shack over there. <laughs> so, I've, you know, I built some more radios while I was there, okay? One thing about Thailand, though, <coughs> is that at every compound of every home got these little houses called spirit houses. Inside there and outside there are little idols. And these children, you see them before they go to school in the morning, they'll go up there and they'll show reverence and they'll pray, you know, for the day and all. And also, in front of them are little altars, okay? <clears throat> and these altars in front of the spirit houses, they will put all these offerings, all the time. Not every day, but most, most, most days. Some people do it every day, but, you know, several times a week they'll put out these uh, offerings. You know, you'll see uh, fruits and juices, and you see bacon and egg and stuff like that, and they'll put it out for their spirit, okay? Well, I was very hungry when I moved to Thailand, and that first morning, uh, my mother was gone, and, and uh, my dad was everywhere gone, and I woke up late because I slept till about 11 o'clock, and I was hungry. And I smell bacon, I smell egg, and that's where it was. It was in front of the spirit houses. And, and it was in our yard, so I went and ate it. Well, that night, they were celebrating, you know, next door. And I said, Mom, I said, why are they doing that? He said, well, you know, we, we're Christian, and we don't give offering to spirit houses, but your dad has allowed your neighbors to do that, you know, so the neighbors said, your spirits are hungry, do you mind if we feed them? Dad said, no, we don't do that. We're Christian, but you, you're welcome to do what you want. So they've been doing it. And I didn't know that. And I, you know, all I know was I was a 14-year-old boy, very hungry. And there was bacon and egg and orange juice up there. So anyway, and, and they were celebrating because they said their spirit had accepted their gift. You know? It's not good to make fun of you know, uh, other religion, but you know, I wasn't making for, uh, uh, fun of them. Uh, you know, it just, I was just a hungry boy. You know? I didn't realize what I've done. In 1961, September, that's Monty, my oldest brother, and that's me. And Bob, that's before the day of biscuit and gravy and country <laughs> ham and sausage. So you, I was half my size then, as you can see. Hardies, no, no, there were no hardies. <laughs> okay. We took that uh, Boeing 707, and uh, that's Monty, and that's me, and we flew to uh, New York City took a bus from there, all right? We would leave the rest of the family. My oldest brother and I, just two of us came, and when we would leave, the rest of my younger sibling, with my mother and father there in Thailand, because Dad was still working for United Nation there. You know, he wasn't old enough to retire, so we left to come to school here in Tennessee, all right? We arrive in New York City, 
on September 7, on 1961. Okay? We didn't know that the buses in America are all enclosed and air-conditioned and heated and all that. So we rode that bus from New York to Sevierville, Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we didn't know there was such good buses. Buses in Burma, you know, are wide open. If it rains, you get wet, you know, and if it's sunshiny, it's, you get hot, and you just had to open the, you know, the windows are open anyway. There's hardly any. But we took the Greyhound bus from New York City to Knoxville, Tennessee, near where our school is, okay? And from Knoxville, Tennessee, about 14 miles out of Knoxville, Tennessee, headed to a Sevierville, was a school called Harrison Chilhawi Baptist Academy, the King's Academy. And this Harrison Chilhawi, this is the picture of the school, administration building and all, is between Knoxville and Sevierville. It's a Baptist boarding school, guys, and that's where a lot of missionaries send their kids back to the United States while they are out in the foreign service. And that's the school that I went to and graduated from, high school, still there in Tennessee, here near Sevierville, okay? When I came here, you know, in Burma, it stays hot all the time and warm all the time. I didn't know that the leaves, the, the leaf changes colors, and I thought it was so beautiful, you know? Little did I know that when the weather would start turning cooler and cooler, and I can't get enough clothes on me when that happened, okay? Anyway, when I did that, I, I remember going to Knoxville and had to buy thermals, you know, and long john and put them on, and they had these socks that are batteries, you know, that keep you warm. Because, see, I've never been anything below 55 degrees in my life till I came to America. When it got to the 40s, oh, I was shivering. I couldn't, you know, my first year, I really struggled, you know, but I, I love it now, you know, I'm getting a little used to it, you know, but... Anyway, let me wrap this up, guys. I appreciate it. When I came to America as a Christian, I have never been ashamed of who I am. And Mr. Kessner here will tell you, when I first went to Electrolux and worked there, there were people who at first wouldn't sit with me, but Bob always, you know, come and sit with me. There were people that were shunned from me, I guess because maybe I say grace before I eat, like my father did, like my grandfather did. But I really wasn't ashamed. I kept on doing it. But, you know, before long, there was a few others, Bob, if you remember, started joining me, Glenn Boer, all those guys. They started joining me saying grace before we eat in the cafeteria, you know. But don't be afraid and don't be ashamed of who you are, you know, because, you know, you've got Christ in your heart. Let people see that in you. And anyway, if you get a chance, read Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. I trust in thee, let me not be ashamed and let not my enemy triumph over me for who you are. Show who you are. Be proud of who you are. I thank you guys very much for inviting me today. I better wrap it up because that's my half hour. I thank you guys very much for inviting me because I have been going from church to church and everybody that will listen to me to thank them face to face personally for sending Ed Nariman and Judson, all these people, so that an old heathen nation would get to know Jesus Christ, and I'm the fruit of it. Thank you all.